You're listening to the Gate Charlotte Podcast. Our mission is to reach people, release heaven, and restore culture, sharing in the love of Jesus and all we do. We hope you enjoy this message. All right. Good morning. Good to see you. You you recovered from that worship yet? That was deep. So good. Thank you, Lord. Trying to change gears a little bit in my mind before we move on. Thank you, Jesus. Welcome to the gate. We've been having some great uh, Sunday morning pre-service stuff going on if you're volunteering. We've been having a team huddle on Sunday mornings, which is fun. So 9 a.m., we meet up with all the volunteers, and we just have fun together. It's a lot of fun. You should serve just to be in the team huddle. That's all I'm saying. They had these, oh, my goodness, what were they? They were like sausage, sausage balls. Yeah, oh, my goodness. I wasn't supposed to eat this morning, and then I saw those, and I was like, forget it. I'm, 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 I'm eating those things. And so I was like, I'll have one, maybe two, no three. No, four is good. Four is good. I stopped at four. They were little, though. That's the problem with bite size. You just keep going. So, uh, And then they're having the burn room over here, so I'll talk more about that in just a second. But um, before we do that, we're going to take up an offering here, and I want to read something to you, just a story that all of you are pretty familiar with. But uh, I want to talk to you about um, this idea of kingdom stewardship. How many know that we need to be good stewards of our money? How many know if you do it without God, you can't be a good steward of your money? (laughs) You guys are quiet on me, all right? How many know you can't steward your money well without God? I want to read you something. There's a popular story we read a lot. And uh, one day when Jesus was out talking to his disciples, we see where thousands of just spiritually hungry people begin to show up. And he begins to preach to them, and several hours go by, and next thing you know, people are getting hungry. And um, you know, the disciples say, hey, we need to send these people away. How many know Jesus is always looking for a great opportunity to show them something? And so they say, you know, we don't have any resources. We don't have anything to feed them. And Jesus says something interesting. He says, I want you to give them what you have. How many know that Jesus could have made food any way he wanted? He could have said, you know, wada bing, wada bang, thousands of loaves and fish. How many know he didn't need their resources to make food? Them giving of their resources was something he was trying to teach them. But he didn't need their resources. Can I have my phone real quick? And so Jesus, here's this moment where they bring it, you know, and uh, he says they take inventory and they realize that they have a couple fish and a couple loaves of bread. And uh, (laughs) this is fun. They, they begin to give it out. You know, you know what happens. Jesus begins to, he begins to take what they have, and he releases it. And next thing you know, I've preached a whole message on giving thanks. There's a couple things that we know that giving thanks, having a grateful heart does. One of them is it can multiply things. Yeah. Jesus took it, gave thanks, and it was multiplied. And they began to give it out. And at the end, there was actually a bunch of leftovers of resources. And Jesus says this to him. It's interesting what he says at the end. He says to them, he says, you need to take the leftovers home and save them for a later time. 
Jesus is teaching them that the place of good stewardship, how many know it's good to save, but it's not good to save if it's from a place of fear? Jesus is teaching them that the the concept of saving is good, but it needs to actually come from the overflow of what he does with your resources. He said, I need you to give me what you have so I can touch it, bless others, and then what's left, take that home and save it. We see kingdom stewardship really clearly just presented in this. And so I want to challenge you guys today that when we give, we are in that position where we're giving to the Lord and we're putting it into his hands and saying, I just want you to use it. And then after that, he gets to say, watch what I can do with this. Amen? All right. We're going to have to wake you guys up today. Amen, John. All right. Lord, we love you. Ushers, you can come up. Lord, it's a privilege to be able to give to you. Father, we take our resources and we put it in your hands. We take our version of the fish and the loaves and say, Lord, here it is. Touch the thousands for your glory. Touch thousands for your glory. Connect your heart to your offering. Connect vision to your dollars. Lord, take our gift and may it bring thousands of people into right relationship with you. May it bring thousands of people into their identity with you, Jesus. We love you. We honor you. And in Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. They can pass the baskets. A couple things that are going on. Um, Tonight, we are having our first Sunday night gathering. We're going to be here. We're going to be coming together. We're going to be praying together. So what this looks like is, is in the new year, we're going to be starting a Sunday night service. We're going to begin to bring in a lot of our guests specifically on the second Sunday of the month. And so what this looks like is, is they're going to probably a lot of times be preaching two services, a Sunday morning and a Sunday night. Sunday morning is for you. Sunday night's for our city. So Sunday morning, you get to receive and all that good stuff. And then Sunday night, you get to give. And so we're going to begin to really strategically bring in guests in a way that we're looking forward to seeing what God's doing in this house, releasing it out of this house. And so um, we're already talking to some guests that we're really praying about who to bring in this year. And um, there's some things that are really in our heart. One of the people that I know we're going to be bringing in is uh, Chad Deadman. He's going to be probably um, the very beginning. How many of you have ever heard Chad? Just curious. Chad is a lot of fun, a lot of fun. He tells some of his stories from Bethel that are hilarious, from Bethel Church. He talks about how... um, he told this one story about they have, you have, how many know when there's a move of God, crazy things happen? And they talked about this story of this person that kept bringing a bird to the worship service, like a dove. And he said, like, we kept telling her, like, you can't bring your bird into the worship service. And he said, I, I saw this person that came in one night and he's like, I knew she had like a big coat on. He's like, I know she's got a, a bird under that coat. <laughs> And this is so Chad. He's like, there's a bird in that trench coat. I know it. And he's like, she was in worship, and the Lord was moving. People were filling the altars and worshiping the Lord. And he said, I just watched it in slow-mo. She just opened up her jacket, and this bird flies across the room. And it's, and he said, the bird flies up to the front and poops on people that are worshiping the Lord. And they're trying to get the bird. He's trying to, like, you know, he's trying to pastor this lady. But um, Chad is having this, this huge revelation right now of a couple areas. Chad's a very gifted, um, he is an evangelist. He can talk to anybody, and it's a gift that we want to see released and imparted. But he's also really getting a true, I believe, a fresh revelation that the body of Christ needs on intercession. Yeah. Like for now. We, we, I, I don't believe it dies off, but I believe it looks different as, as God moves. Yeah. 
and Chad is, he's, he's going and he's traveling the nation and teaching. It's, it's really a movement of just stereotypical church ministries. Uh, you know, just being honest, the intercession groups usually like 40s, 50s, and 60s. He's seeing a huge uprising of like the 20s and 30s that are beginning to go after the Lord and pray. But they're having encounters with the Lord and they're taking it outside the four walls of the church. He's out surfing and paddleboarding and praying and interceding for his nation and people are just coming to him. And so it's really a, a movement based on um, connecting with God and where you connect with God. Yeah. Some of you connect with God out, you know, at the beach, some of you connect with God just sitting in a park. And he's, he's basically, God's really releasing this message in him about interceding where you connect with God and releasing that over your city. And so um, he just launched School of Intercession. I was talking to him on the phone. He's like, I am really nervous calling it School of Intercession. He says, because I know what people are going to, the stereotypes of intercessors. He's like, but these will actually be happy intercessors. And um, because there's such a burden on intercessors because they try to carry the weight of the world when they were not made for that. And so anyways, he is, uh, he'll be in sometime probably February, March, and uh, we got some exciting stuff. But tonight, 6 p.m. is going to be really, um, it's going to be really organic in the sense where we're just going to come together and we're going to pray. We're going to have acoustic-led worship, and we're going to begin to just hear God, what he's saying for our city, and begin to, how many know everything is rooted in prayer? We're not going to go out there and try to like jump into a new service without having first rooted it in prayer. And so 6 p.m. tonight, we're going to do that. Amen? Amen. Anything else? Is that it? thought I was going to share something else, but uh, no, not this morning. Thanks. I want to talk to you about um, something that I opened up three or four weeks ago, which was, I called it um, the roots of royalty. Y'all remember that? Um, either a lot of you weren't here or you didn't like it or you guys remember that. You're like, oh, here we go. I'm going to have to serve again. I put it in the, I was funny because I put it in the church group last night. I put what I was preaching about and just noticed there was low attendance this morning. But um, <laughs> so, that's all right. Um, no, I, I, uh, I, I'm really just, the Lord has got me in this place of just this, this peace on serving is really like resonating in my spirit right now. And he's given me some things on it that I want to talk with you guys about this morning. And so um, we're going to jump into this, but uh, let's, uh, let's read a scripture. Mark chapter nine, verse 33, and says that they came to Capernaum when he was in the house and he asked them, what are you arguing about on the road? I feel like Jesus is like a parent right here, right? He's like, they just took a road trip. And Jesus is like, what were you guys arguing about on the road trip? And parents know what I'm talking about. But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. I love this. These guys know this is probably not going to go well. They're like, what were you guys arguing about? And they're like, mm. <laughs> Peter, keep your mouth shut. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. I'm going to read that again. <laughs> Notice, let's go back a second. But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Notice they never told Jesus. He knew. How many know when Jesus asks you a question, he already knows the answer? He wasn't actually asking them what they were talking about. They never even answered him according to scripture. And then it says, sitting down, Jesus called to the 12 disciples and said, anyone who wants to be first must be very last and the servant of all. And he took a little child in whom he placed among them, taking this child in his arms. And he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. 
And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. I feel like this whole thing was a setup. Do you get that when you read this? Like even that, he took a little child whom he'd placed among them. Jesus is setting them up. He's like, I'm going to put a kid here, and I know how this is going to work out. How many of you know that this scripture, I talked about this a couple weeks ago, it is refreshing to me that Jesus did not belittle them for wanting to be great. It is such a father thing where Jesus is like, he's not like, listen, you guys, have you not gotten this yet? You are, you are a worm. I mean, you are just a, a wretch, sinner saved by grace. He's not got any problem with them wanting to be great. The problem is he knows that their definition of greatness is wrong. Listen, you can't hang around Jesus and not begin to feel great. (laughs) If if you don't feel that way at church, we're probably not representing Jesus very well. You're going to have to work hard today, guys. You can't hang around Jesus and not feel great. He had this way of dropping truth bombs on them that were painful, but they still felt great. It's like when you go to the gym and you work out, you know, act like you do, right? You go to the gym and you work out and it's like, it hurts so good. You know what I'm talking about? When Jesus would say things, it was like, it would hurt so good. It would just be painful, but you'd still feel great. And he's talking to these guys and and he's telling them, you know, it's okay to be great, but this is just not the way to get there. The reality is all of us want to be great. There's something in all of us that wants to be great. I mean, we don't go to the movies like, you know what? Listen, you know, put a post on Facebook. Does anybody just know of an average movie I can go watch tonight? Just looking for an average movie, something middle of the road, or, or you know, somebody that goes shopping. You don't want to go shopping. And like Tiffany always, you know, she's with me. She's like, if you don't love it here, you'll never wear it, John. And so you don't go shopping like, you know, I'm just looking for a decent shirt. Maybe some of you are like, that's okay with me. Uh, the, the result I just got back was underwhelming on shopping, guys. Um, we, we shop a lot. <laughs> so like, Tiffany doesn't walk in like, you know, I just want something decent. She's like, oh, I want, I want a, like a really great shirt. And, you know, it's like we just eating out restaurants. We're like, I want an average place for lunch. We don't even use those words together. Like, don't put average and eating out together. Like, that's scary. That's like low rating on, on the restaurant. You know, it's like, no, I want, I want to know what is the greatest place I can eat for what I can pay, right? I want something great. It's just naturally built into us that we want something great. We don't, people that play sports, we don't want to be like, I just want to be okay. <laughs> I mean, maybe if like your parents made you play, you know, you're like, oh, I'll just be okay. You know, I don't really care. But like, you know, I... <laughs> You, know, <laughs> you don't want to just be average. You know, you're like, I want to be great at this, man. Like, you don't want to play good. I see parents at like little league games. It's like, listen, they're going crazy on the sidelines. It's like little Jimmy's like got his, he's running around with his, you know, glove on his head. And they're like, you know, ready to put him in the major league baseball. Cause they're like, we want you to be great. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I, 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 uh, I coached my, my son, Ethan's little league football team for uh, one or two years. And, uh, you know, they, we went into this league where it's like, oh, we don't keep score. I'm like, 
<laughs> whatever. I'm like, you may not keep score, I'm gonna keep score. And they're like, well, we don't believe in winning and losing. I'm like, well, unofficially, we won every game of the year. But it's like, you can do that. But it was like, I'm gonna know what the score was. So I'm like, like putting a little thing in my pocket and uh, point, point, you know. And um, why? Because I don't wanna just, just be good. It's like, I, wanna have, I want these guys to be great. And how many of you know, there is nothing wrong with that desire. Jesus put it in you. He put it in you, and he didn't get mad at them. And I'm, I'm kind of setting you guys up so you know, because I'm going to like switch at the end what you think is great. It's like when Randall came, and he's like, well, we don't use the word awesome for anybody but God. Not everyone's like, well, John, I would tell you you're awesome, but apparently I can't say that anymore. So I told Randall, I'm like, thanks for that, Randall. <laughs> Everyone's like, you're all, you know, you're great, man. <laughs> so I'm just honoring enough. I'll just call Randall and be like, bro, you're so awesome, friend. You know, <laughs> he's like, ha ha, funny. You know, let's get that super deep baritone voice. And uh, anyways, these guys were hanging with Jesus, and all of a sudden they started realizing that we we feel great. We feel great around this guy. They're like, we are great. And then they began to like super childish. Who's the greatest? I would love to hear full-grown men saying, like, listen, Joe, <laughs> Joe, uh, you're not as great as I am. Well, listen, I mean, you know, I, I, hold on. Did you see what I did for Jesus a few days ago? Like, remember when he walked in, I was the one that pulled the chair back, set it behind him. You didn't do that. You know, I can hear this just, what, what in the world? I, well, I healed four people. <laughs> four? And there was this thing that was coming up in them that was like, I really want to be great. And the problem was their definition of greatness, because if we don't know where greatness is found, we don't know how to get there. And so Jesus said, it's nothing wrong with you on the journey to greatness. It's just you don't know where you're going. And, and, and it's really important because most of us, if we're honest, we don't like the journey. <laughs> Some of you, maybe you do. I'm taking my kids to Disney World like next week. Was like, yay, we're driving. Yay. Uh, <laughs> some of you are super parents, and you know how to make that eight-hour, nine-hour drive amazing. You know, but like that can be a challenge sometimes when you pack them in the car. And uh, how many of you know those? Like we just keep telling them, when we get there, it's gonna be awesome. How long, Dad? How much farther? Listen, we're still like you know in North Carolina. Like just how long? How long? How long? You know, and it's just like you know, there's only so many times you can find letters on the cars that go by. It's like, okay, find a C, C, okay, you know what I mean? And, and, and there's this process of like, but we're going to Disney World. It's like, great, but there's a journey. And um, none of us typically get thrilled about the journey. I remember um, a good friend of mine who, uh, he, and he would not, he'd be fine if I said this. Um, he years ago you know, had some things happen in his life and his ministry that really went south. And I remember I flew to New York to be with him because it was bad. And I can laugh now because God's done so much good. But I remember flying out there and I remember just, I was like, you buddy, you got a journey in front of you. And I just kept saying it over and over. And, and I remember by the end, he's like, you keep using journey. He's like, I feel like I'm talking to Gandalf. He's like, I'm like, I don't think you have any idea how long of a journey you have in front of you. And here we are, like years, you know, we're over three years later. And it was like, yep, you, you've had a journey in front of you. And, um, and, and, and God's done great things. But uh, I just remember, like, the, the reality of, like, I want to get here, but I really have no concept of what's here. 
Like everybody, I remember hearing Danny Silk say one time, he's like, people that get married, they all want to get here. They're here. He said, you know what this here can be? Hell. <laughs> he, said, he said, everyone's like, we're going to get married. We're going to be in ministry together. We're going to just travel the world. We're going to just like, and he's like, and you both get married. You have no money. You're having to work at minimum wage. And he's like, you're trying to get from here to here. He said, this part is called hell. And he said, if you're not ready for that part of the journey, you're going to be in for a big surprise. And I meet so many people that are like, man, I just want to be in ministry up here. Hey, 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 wait for this. Wait for this, man, because the reality is ministry ain't up here. Ministry's down there. And sometimes when you think you're getting pounded into the ground, you're just getting closer to ministry. You're getting more and more where God wants you. I'm not saying he puts you there, but boy, he knows how it rolls. And listen, sometimes it's just that the journey is not the fun part. But the reality is we are in this beautiful place at the gate right now where God is doing so much good stuff. I mean, I don't know if you guys feel it, like just the momentum in the atmosphere. Like if you don't feel it, hang around a little bit more because what we're feeling is so exciting. But the reality is there's a process to get there. And everyone wants to be great, but not everyone wants to go on the journey. And so here they are. They're fighting over this word. The disciples are fighting over this word. Who is the greatest? And, and you know, we look at that and we're like, that's so childish. We wouldn't do that. Really? We just fight over, like, theology. <laughs> or here's a good one, end times. <laughs> yeah, y'all in the South get quiet on that one. I've just learned if Jesus wasn't fighting over it, I'm not going to fight over it. <laughs> and uh, Jesus was just really good at answering things. We fight over things all the time. Well, well what about the well, best kids program? I mean, we're comparing each other. What about the best worship? How about uh, worship, uh, the worship, whatever you want to call it, you know, the service, the lights, all that kind of stuff. Churches, I'm talking more like churches. They fight over that stuff. Who's better? Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Why? Because we've gotten so much. Listen, I, I love the idea of um, commercialism, just not in church. Yeah. I, I'm super cool with being able to order my coffee on my phone and pull up and get it and go where I need to go. But that's not how the kingdom works. Yeah. And I believe that if you're not careful, when you try to mix the two, you end up with a real problem. Yeah. Because you, you, you end up with a lot of people that want to just call in their order and get it and go at church. And Jesus didn't operate that way. Don't get me wrong. I believe when people come in, we need to have an inviting atmosphere, especially if it's your first time. But you know, if you come over to my house on like that 30th time, I'm not walking you around and showing you where everything is anymore. It's not like, I mean, it's not like, you know, you're like kicking stuff under the couch while they're walking in, you know? It's like the first, you know, few times, it's like, I'm going to be at the A game for you. Come on in. Welcome. Nice to have you. Here's the restroom. Here's, that's what I call a couch. This is our kitchen. You know, it's like that whole experience. And as I get you to know you more, it's like, you know, hey, I'm here. Walk in. Doors open. Mm -hmm. Right? right? I believe there's a place for the gift of hospitality, but I believe that if you're not careful, hospitality can quickly transition into commercialism. Yeah. And learning how those two operate is the tension that we can find ourselves in sometimes. Yeah. But, the, but the thing is, is that we still, we still today, if we're not careful, I hear it all the time. People are like arguing, well, who's got the greatest, you know, when I say theology, the greatest understanding of who God is. 
And they're always like, just who's greatest? Who's greatest? They don't know that. They don't say it that way. But it still happens. You with me? Am I, am I, am I losing you? Jesus didn't condemn them. He was the one that put the desire in them. The reality is that the enemy has always, the enemy has always wanted to be God. The enemy has always to be, wanted to be God, but God is the creator. The best that the enemy has to offer is a manipulator. I'm going to say that again. God creates, the enemy manipulates. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to set you guys free of some stuff. Maybe not. Maybe you get offended. <laughs> Here's my opportunity. This is going to go well or really go bad. Almost everything in life that we run into, I'm going to say everything in life that we run into, either it's God's creation or it's the enemy's attempt to manipulate something that God has already created. The church gets way too overwhelmed with fear of what the enemy has manipulated, opposed to saying, what was God's intent for that? You're with me so far. It's because I haven't said anything to you yet that would bother you. Um, <laughs> we see this interesting dialogue, and I don't have time to read it today, but write it down, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, where Paul is in this position where um, they provide food for him that was set aside for idols slash demons. Super interesting scripture. Because Paul addresses two um, completely different views in the sense of, he basically says, for people that are fearful that this is demonic, remember there's only one real God. Yeah. So I'll give thanks for it and it's fine. Yeah. That, that's one position he takes in that scripture. The other position he says, if your conviction is not to eat this, basically, that's fine also. Yeah. The problem is not that it was that it's either your conviction or it's not. The problem is that you're fearful of something that's dark. Yeah. Interesting scripture because he says, I can just give thanks for this food and I can see it redeemed. And so he does. But then he also says, if it's your conviction to not eat this food, that's perfectly fine too. But stop being impressed by darkness. Stop being impressed by darkness. We're coming up to the holiday of the year that the church gets awfully impressed by darkness. Come on. Yeah. Come on. Halloween. <gasps> yeah, here we go. I don't care what you believe. If you feel convicted about don't be a part of it, great. But don't be impressed by darkness. Don't be impressed. This is not the enemy's day of the year. He's not that great. Don't give him a day of the year. Yeah. This is really, really important because every year this thing comes up and it's like, Wah. I'm like, I'm more scared of church people than of demons around Halloween because it's like, they're going to attack me. And they're like, oh, we don't, some people, I mean, and I watch some people having the purest time of fun and some are like, that's demonic. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's take it back to Paul. <laughs> you guys got quiet. <laughs> I can go with everyone. Christmas, that's easier, right? Some people are like, well, I don't know Christmas trees. That's demonic. <laughs> it's a tree. God created trees. If someone else at some point made it into an idolistic purpose, whatever, redeem it. Yeah. 
I can go through everything. I can go through everything in a way that we could say that this has been taken and now it's wrong. I don't like giving the enemy my stuff. I, 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 that's what Tiffany, like, we're, that's ours. That's mine. You know? <laughs> All right, I'm going to back off that because I'm, I'm just tired. So I don't want to push in any farther. The point he was trying to make was stop letting darkness be the focus. Paul was trying to say, stop letting darkness be the focus. I believe there's a lot of people that would see breakthroughs in their marriages with their spouse, with their children, if they would just begin to give thanks for them. I believe that we would see, a, <laughs> I can't remember the last person I sat in with counseling and they was like, man, my, just, my spouse just gives thanks for me so much. I can't hardly, I just can't hardly stand how grateful they are for me. <laughs> yeah. I believe that if we could begin to give thanks for them and who they are, even before we see change, we can begin to see that releases the power of redemption. It releases the power. Just like Paul said, yes, this food was set aside for darkness, but if I give thanks for it, it's going to be changed. It's going to be purified and redeemed. Can we not at the same way say, Lord, I know that this child, this spouse, they're currently, they may be set aside and in darkness, but I give thanks for the light that's on them in Jesus' name and let God begin to change them through thanks, through thanks, through thanks, through gratitude. Don't be so impressed with darkness. The church needs to stop running away from certain topics and saying that that's demonic and start addressing what God wanted it to be. Thanks, one person. <laughs> Listen, I could go all over the place with this because we run away from topics that we're scared of. Maybe I'll just start leaning into them and just going after it. Things that have been taken, that have been made for the enemy has tried really, really hard to ruin this topic. And we get so impressed by the darkness instead of saying, no, that's mine. That's mine. You can't have my stuff, devil. Jesus, Jesus could have said to the disciples, you know, uh, that's pride. And that's from the enemy. He could, have, he could have immediately recognized the problem, but he immediately responded with the answer. He could have immediately looked at them and said, whoa, boys, you know, that's bad. He said, no, no, no. I'll tell you what, being great, not a problem. But here's the deal. You got to be last to be first. You got to serve all if you want to be great. Maybe we need to keep working on our, our redefining of the definition of greatness. Maybe greatness isn't being first, being best, being known. Why do you think that people are so obsessed with putting pictures on social media? And they check it over and 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 over to see how many people saw their photo. Why? Because they feel, they feel an unredeemed greatness that's coming from other people recognizing them. Now, we could blast them or we could be a little bit more like Jesus and say, that's really great that you want to feel great. But you're not going to find it, Lord knows, in social media. 
It's not gonna happen. I don't care how great you are. I don't care how cool your selfie was. Somebody's not gonna like it. It's just life. And we get this twisted understanding of what greatness is. The problem is we begin living for an audience of people when you were designed just to live for his audience. And you begin to live a place where you just want people to see it. You want people to notice it. You want people this and that. And God is saying, listen, I, I created you just, just so I could enjoy you. You're my pleasure, he says to you. And he's my pleasure. I love to share things. I'm not anti-social media. I do it all the time. You probably all are sick of my sunset pictures from where I live. <laughs> but I always just have the most amazing, like, just, whoa. It's like every time I see it, I'm like, that's amazing again. Yeah. And everyone's like, yes, John, we've seen the sunset. I'm like, it's, this one's better. It's just amazing. <laughs> and it's not like, <laughs> you know? And, and I, 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 I have no problem with that. I just... I realize that there's a place for everything. Yeah. But my greatness will not come from what people think about me. Yeah. Yeah, it will not come from what people think about me. And the problem is when we begin living for an audience of people, it gets into our culture, whether we know it or not. We think that in church, we think that greatness often is a pulpit. Yeah. Yeah. We often think that greatness is leading something. Greatness is, is getting on staff. We, we really created an unhealthy culture in the past 15 to 20 years of teen ministry where we have told teens, I don't think it's as bad anymore, but it used to be like, if you're called by God, you're going to be in ministry. And it was like, I would stand in youth conference after youth conference after youth conference, and it'd be like, come off if you're called to go to the nations. And people are like, I have to go. I'm not going to sit here. And we, we had created this mindset that if I'm, not, if I'm not in ministry, I must not be called. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have this, this generation of teenagers that's like, but I really don't want to be in ministry. But now I have this whole you know, problem that I feel like I have to be. Listen, you know where we need people? So we need people outside of ministry. We need to be influencing culture outside of this house. We need people in these different streams of influence. That's why we're focusing on these new labs for the upcoming year, because we want to begin to impact things outside the local church. It's so important. It's so important. I love, and listen, we, God's teaching us again. I believe God's going to retrain us in a lot of things right now. He's reteaching us, I believe, language, how to talk. I hate it when someone finds out I'm a pastor and they all said, whoa, whoa, I almost say that around you. Like, Please be yourself. I can feel it. They find out I'm a pastor. It's like, oh, I go to church. Yeah, good for you. Everyone in the South does. It's like, <laughs> we used to have people that would email the office and they, and they would want like counseling or us to marry them. And they would be like, we go to your church. At that point in time, they didn't realize our church was as small as it was. So if you came, I would know you. And I would be like, really, where'd you sit? Oh, well, you know, quarter of the way back. I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I know that game. <laughs> but, you know, I, I want people, I want people, I want people to feel like this guy, may, like he, there's something in him that makes me want to be great. Yeah. That was Jesus. He's like, I'm cool with them wanting to be great. It's going to be natural if they hang out with Jesus. Yeah. 
but let me teach you what greatness is. The truth is in the kingdom of God that this thing on serving, when Jesus responded to them and said, listen, you want to be great, you got to serve all. This is a huge factor in the kingdom of God because your ability to lead will always be rooted in your ability to serve. Let me say it, let me say it another way. If, if, and you've probably heard this before, if serving is below you, leading is above you. We serve, not just in this house, in our homes, in our families, because you can't lead where you don't have authority. And you don't have authority where you don't have relationship. And you don't have relationship where you don't serve. It's rooted in serving. The same thing, I can't remember, maybe David can, but the last time I did counseling where it was like, they're just, they both serve each other so well and they're still having issues. Very rarely do I hear that one. Man, they just, they're such a servant heart and you don't hear that. It's usually this, this, this thing, not feeling like the other would lay down anything for the other. This thing about humility is a big deal. Humbling yourself. Serving someone else. <laughs> you still with me? It's always rooted in the heart of a servant. Someone, if someone is trying to lead without having, without serving, it's never going to work right. That's where people get on power trips. <laughs> All right. Can I read just scripture? That'll make you feel better. Galatians 1.10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If we're still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. That's a lot to swallow. You cannot be a man pleaser and a servant of Christ. Isn't that interesting? They're not compatible. I'm going to shoot a bunch of scriptures at you because I think this is important that we understand that, like, how many of you know that, like, how many want to be pleasing to God? There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a message that's kind of floating around the church right now that I think is dangerous, that I get the heart of grace and all that, and it's like, we're pleasing to God, but it's almost like this, I don't have to do anything, I'm just pleasing to God. I believe you're loved by God, but I believe that there is a lot of scriptures that says, this pleases God. Yeah. And I believe that if we're not careful, we can begin to create a message that no one would lay their life down for. Jordan posted something recently about just, just the reality of like people that have laid their life down for this message. And I think that, listen, it's great to get a fresh revelation of God, but if you come to a point where you're not willing to die for it, you left something. You left something. And it's important for us to realize there are things that please God. There are things that please God. It says in um, Ephesians 5.10, it says that, go back now, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Colossians 3.20, children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. 
Ephesians 6.6, 6, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, do the will of God from the heart. Hebrews 13, 16, do not neglect to do good and share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. It's almost like he's countercultural. He is not PC. That's right there, rewards. That's a big deal. Some people just don't believe in rewards. We don't believe in rewards. Everyone's equal. That's not what God says. Yeah. <laughs> this gets so, so awkward because we have this mindset like, I can just, you know, listen, you can come and give your life to Jesus and never do a thing the rest of your life except love Jesus and you're going to go to heaven. But you know what? He didn't call you to do that. It's great to do that but there are things that please the Father, and I want to live a life that's pleasing to God. I don't do it out of striving. I know that he's not going to love me more. It's not going to make me a higher, you know, I'm, I'm higher. I, man, you know the amount of sacrifice I did. I'm way above you. That's back to the disciples. I'm greater than you. But it is a reality you can't get away from. You just can't get away from the scriptural references that talk about there are ways in life to please God. How you talk to your spouse, it can either not please God or it can be pleasing to God. He kind of created everything in the image of marriage. He has a value for it. You see, God loves you. The reality is God loves us no matter how <laughs> maybe lazy, confused, or frustrated we might get. He loves you. He loves you. How I many that's really good news? <laughs> like we have seasons that are rough and it's just like, I don't do nothing. It's like, that's great news. He still loves you the same. But I want to get past just the point of just, you know, God loves me to like, God is so pleased with my heart. I'm kind of recalibrating some things. I feel like this is important. And one of the enemy's great, one of the enemy's, you know, biggest weapons against us in this whole thing about greatness is the idea of comparison. It's the idea of comparison. This is another thing that we see that's just, you know, a lot of, it's something we didn't have to live with 20 years ago because we didn't all get to see everything everyone else did. Yeah. We didn't get to see, we didn't know what our friend's car was in another state. Yeah. We don't know where they're going to dinner. Right. We didn't know what clothes they were buying. But we've stepped into a new world that has changed things and as people are having to adjust and realize is there something you're constantly having to check your heart. I'm constantly, I know this feels simple, but I don't think we've got it. This is why I'm going here because we have to realize that comparison, you know, this idea of I want to be first. You can only be first if there is a second. You can only be first if you know that you've compared yourself to the other person, and by comparison, you're better. Jesus took this on head first. He said, if you want to be great, he said, that's, that's awesome. Just be ready to serve everyone. Be ready to serve everyone. You, you can only, you know, if you want to be first, this is only going to happen if you're willing to be last. The kingdom of God, it, it honestly looks upside down sometimes. Yeah. 
Maybe when Acts 17, 6 says that the disciples turned the world upside down, just maybe there was more to it than just signs, wonders, and miracles. Maybe he was taking some of their thought process and things that they thought that they had right, and they're flipping them upside down saying, no, 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 that's not how it works. Actually, it's those of you that are the least or the greatest. They were coming in, and it said they were turning their town upside down. Now, I love the idea of miracles and all that stuff, and I know we know they were doing that. We've read about it. But maybe there was more to it. Maybe it was their understanding of greatness was changing. Maybe it was their drive, these people's drive to become the greatest began to say, you know what, actually, that's different than what I thought. And they said, listen, this place is just becoming upside down. The pathway to great is servant to all. I know my route when next week, when I leave and go to Florida, I know how I'm going to go. I know where I'm going, and I know how I'm going to get there. And some of you, it's perfectly fine to want to be great, but you have to know the route. And it is servant to all, is what Jesus said. We, I, I, I've, I know this, for some of you, might sound like foundational stuff, and I'm intentionally talking about that stuff. Because I feel like we have, like, we can OD on Revelation, like we overdose on it, and we have so much of it. But then we have no idea how to step into a place of greatness to be able to release it to those around us. But we're full of it. We're, we're, we're so much of it. And I can come in every Sunday morning and I can drop truth bombs for 45 minutes. And at some point you realize, like, are we actually creating people that are great or are we just creating an atmosphere for people to get more knowledge and and revelation, which is great. But there's a place for that. But it's stewarded through the servant of all. And I'm bringing this thing back around on purpose. I have a huge value for those, those, you know, why so many people go to the gate. They come to the gate because they want to hear those things. They're like, whoa, you know, that's, that's great. You can't hang around Jesus and not get that. But at the same time, I feel like Jesus, when he took on this topic of being great and did something, I think this was so simple, but at the same time, extremely profound. And they asked, basically, Jesus in this moment said, here is the definition of greatness. This is a huge moment. The Savior said, I'm going to tell you what it means to be great. Servant to all. But, but it went further than that. It went further than that. And I'm gonna, we're going to get just a little further into it in a second. Dr. King said something, a quote that fits in here. He said, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. Everybody can be great because anybody can serve. (laughs) Let's talk about the child. That was a big big deal. Why did Jesus bring a kid into this? (laughs) 
Why did Jesus present the child as the one that they needed to serve? I believe with all my heart, (laughs) any parent knows this. With children, you can do a lot for them. And a lot of times they never say thank you. (laughs) Parents are starting to laugh. You're not going to get this. I'm so moved, Dad. Thank you. Wow. My goodness. Like, my heart is deeply moved in this moment, Father. (laughs) You know, you you typically aren't going to get that. There was something in Jesus, and we see a correlation here. Remember when they said, how do we have faith? Same, remember when the disciples said to Jesus, how do we have faith? And he said, it's like this. When you've been out in the field working all day long and you come inside, don't expect us to sit down and eat. You're going to have to serve the master first. And by the way, he's probably not going to say thank you. That's how you grow in faith. You see the correlation of this? Jesus was saying to them, you want to know how to be great? Serve a kid. Why? Because you're not going to get anything from them. If there's anything in you that is doing this for an ulterior, ulterior motive, you won't want to be working in the nursery. Why? Because they're not going to do nothing for you. Babies are going to poop on you, and they're going to yell at you, and they're going to pull your hair. I've watched parents at places, man, and my heart goes out to them, man. You're like at the, you're like at the beach, and I've, the beach is the one where like you watch parents chasing children nonstop, and they're just like, well, hold on, hold on. You go get that one and bring them back. And, you, and, and literally, you've watched this parent save their children's lives like 12 times in one day. You realize that, right? Like they'd be dead if it wasn't for dad right now. And they have no idea. They have no idea that dad has saved their life like 12 times now. And they're just like, you know, and then you're like worn out. You're like, well, dad, well, you're like, well, daddy's tired. Let's go inside. I don't want to go. I'm tired because I've saved you like 12 times now. And they have no idea. And Jesus is like, you want to know when you have hit the point where you have hit what it really means to serve is when you can serve the one that can give you nothing back. The kid, that it's not going to help your ministry if you serve them. They're not going to, when you come serve them, they're not going to write you a surprise thank you check. (laughs) Things that we can feel in our heart that we may not know about with children, it's not there. They're pure. They're pure and sometimes very ornery. And you could serve them. And Jesus said, I loved it when he sat that little kid in the midst and said, you serve them, then you're serving me. What does that mean? You do it from a heart of simplicity of I'm not doing it for something. I'm just serving because I want to be like you. This is not an altar call to servant ministries. This is a lifestyle. This is a lifestyle if we get it and people get around us and they just know. I know when I get around certain people, they just have such a servant's heart because I feel it on them. And it's not like, it's like, I want to be more like them. Jesus' definition of true serving came from a place that didn't get anything back. Some people are really challenged by that. (laughs) And I'll I'll say this again. I've said this before. I don't believe that when Jesus gave these examples, it 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 
It was an example of the servant's heart. I believe he gives other examples of the leader's heart, where he talks about, well, the father sees what you do in private, and he rewards you. I also believe that when we begin to walk in a place of leadership, it's our, our responsibility to celebrate people and to honor people. But we don't serve for that. You understand the difference? You're going to have a really weak culture in your church if you just tell people at the growth track, you're going to serve and no one's going to say thank you. Welcome to the gate. (laughs) Now, maybe you've got some people that will do great, but after a few weeks, it is responsibility of leaders to come in and say, you're doing amazing. I celebrate you. I thank God for the gift in you. That's the, that's, the, that's the responsibility of a good leader. But the heart of a good servant says, I'm going to do it whether I get that or not. Yeah, yeah. And I get it. People have been hurt. People have been church hurt. And I get it. There's a lot more to this. But you can't get around the truth yeah. of what Jesus was trying to say. Yeah. Serve, and you'll be great. Yeah. So let's serve. Let's serve. I meet people that are not even believers that are such servant hearts. I'm so moved around them. And they're not even believers. There's power to serving, guys. And so I want to encourage you all that we're going to continue to pursue this. And I really appreciate you guys showing up. Because <laughs> we're going to keep pursuing this. There's good things on the horizon but we're rooting our heart in this. And I'm, I'm, I'm purposely digging in and digging in and digging in. I'm so tired. Can I, can I be really honest right now? I'm so tired of people that just come through the church and they're just looking for the next glory wave to surf. And when it's gone, we're going to surf over to this church and we're going to go to this conference and we're going to go here. And it's like, where is, where is the roots? I know that's not real popular in our city because we're kind of a conference town. And I'm not saying those things aren't helpful to go to. Don't get me wrong. We do conferences. But be rooted. Be rooted in the Lord and be rooted in community. And you will thrive. I heard most of you know Upper Room Church. It's really exploding in Dallas right now. A lot of their worship movement's changing. The face of the church's worship. You want to know what I'm... Uh, the pastor, I can't remember his name, but it, yeah, yeah. He tells, he tells everybody, they say, how would you tell somebody, a young person that really wants to thrive? And he said, pick a church and stay there 10 years, no matter what. That's, right. yeah. Yeah. That's what he tells them. Pick a church, stay there 10 years, no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't say it, he did. Uh, <laughs> I'm just repeating it. Some of you were like, whoa, now we passed the line. I'm just saying that there's something that happens in the place of rooting and locking in, saying, I'm here, Lord. You can provide for my needs. You can take care of me. All right, so let's stand up. You've been listening to the Gate Charlotte's podcast. Consider subscribing so you don't miss a message. We're sending this to someone who might need encouragement today. Thanks for joining us.